Last uh, Tuesday night, we had uh, some folk come and visit us at our uh, home fellowship. Lachey came and visited us at our home group on Tuesday night and uh, gave her life to Jesus on Tuesday night. It was lovely to have you here, Lachey. Let's give Lachey a warm welcome. <laughs> Tanil was there uh, again. Uh, Tanil is this lady here. Wave, Tanil. This is Tanil. We dedicated a life to the Lord. What's uh, Lachey, What's this little fellow's name? Abu. Abu. Now I want to just uh, ex- uh, just say something to us as a fellowship. You know, God is doing something about stretching us all, stretching us into a new place. He's bringing those who are lost to Himself. He's reaching out to those who don't know Him, and He's drawing them into Himself. And it, as growth is always uncomfortable, we're going to go through an uncomfortable time here, folk, in terms of what's it going to mean for us? What's it going to mean for us as a, as a fellowship? What's it going to mean for us individually? How are we going to handle this? How are we going to handle a growth that comes as God brings new folk into himself, as he reaches out to those who don't know him, as he draws them in? What's it going to do? What's it going to be like for us? How's it going to be for us? I want you to just... Open your heart up to Jesus and say, Jesus, whatever you're going to do, I just want to be part of that. And I want to flow with you. I don't want to be sitting here in my little church saying, it's not comfortable in my little church. Um, You know, I don't like what you're doing. I want to be on the edge with you, Jesus. You take me where you want to take me. You take me where you want me to go. You make me willing to do what you want to do so that we can see souls saved. Amen? And the, the most important thing that we have here. It's not how we feel when we gather together. It's how Jesus feels about those who are coming to him. You know, we're told in the scriptures that uh, when one soul repents, there's a party in heaven. There's a celebration going on. And I, I am I'm thrilled that God has uh, seen fit to open the doors of our fellowship and, and draw in those who don't know him, I, you know, I've sat in churches for years and years and years and seen no one come to Jesus, you know. Oh, that we get to a place where he'll open the floodgates and pour out his blessing upon us and we'll see many young people come to Jesus, people who are lost, people who don't know Jesus, people who are broken, you know, people who are really destitute, who have no founding or foundation, you know, and if it means we're going to have little gorgeous people like this walking around because they're... They're in our congregation. Well, then let's just have them in our congregation. Bring some lollies in your bag and feed them lollies. <laughs> what do you reckon? Do you like that idea? I like that idea. i got lollies in my bag. Guess why I have lollies in my bag? Because I was told to put some in there. Yeah. So I just want you to just to allow God to move in your heart with a heart of grace and a heart of generosity. Um, if we move with the Holy Spirit and if we are willing to move with the Holy Spirit, you know what the Holy Spirit will do? He will do something that you can't even imagine. He'll blow this place a whole part and you'll see souls come into him over and over again. And God will bring us and take us and, 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 and do an amazing work. All you have to do is be willing. Are you willing? Are you willing to go that place? Are you willing to go to that place of uncomfortableness? where you stretch you out of your little nest and say, you know, you're going to do something better and greater. You, you, your whole purpose is for the kingdom of God. Glory to Jesus. Amen. Now, you remember January of this year. 
I preached a sermon on rebuilding the foundations. And all year, what we've been doing is talking about rebuilding those foundations. So all this year, we've been looking at different aspects of the Christian worldview and we've been talking about what it is to be Christian and what Christians really believe, what Christians really think. Now, everybody's got a personal worldview. What's a personal worldview? A personal worldview is the way we see things, the certain things that we see. Um, so we have a view, a worldview. Now, I remember some years ago, um, we were going up to your place, and we had a, 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 on Norton, we had a, a house meeting at your place, John, and we had a whole lot of young people coming in, and I think, and I think uh, Carlos was driving with me and we, to go up there. How many, that's a no, no, number of years now ago. And, and I remember sitting around, and we had about 20 or so young people in their teens sitting around us as a group, and we'd ask them what they believed. And they would tell us what they believed about life. They'd tell us what they believed about sexuality. They'd tell us what they believed about creation. They'd tell us what they believed about God. They, and, and then we asked a question about, well, where did you get your beliefs from? And that was very interesting because they'd say, well, they got them from watching a movie or they got them from TV or they got them from uh, reading in a magazine or they got them from somewhere else. But, so what they were telling us is they were telling us their view of the world and they were telling us where they got their view of the world from. And so they, they hadn't read the Bible. They hadn't heard anything about God. So, that, so God wasn't even in their worldview. It was like everything else was taught to them from the media, from movies, from, from, from those sort of things. And so whether we, whether we uh, believe it or not, we all have a view of this world and that view of this world has got to come to us from something somewhere um it's the driving force that that makes us do what we do you know it's because we believe certain things that we do certain things so we believe certain things so we go and do certain things like we believe that that money actually will give us significance so we work very hard to get money because we think that money is going to make us happy and is give us significance we believe that because we've been told that we believe that you, we are the most important person in the whole world and so we get really upset when things are not the way that we want them to be and it's not good for us, you know. Um, we believe that happiness is the most important thing that, to strive for. Our personal happiness is the most important thing that we should be doing and because we believe that, um, we look for happiness everywhere. We, we look for happiness at the end of a needle. We look for happiness, you know, smoking. We look for happiness in the bottle. We look for happiness in possessions. We look for happiness in relationships. We look for happiness everywhere because we think that happiness is the central goal of life. That's the worldview. That's the way we view things. We're told that that's is what it's all about. And that's why we do what we do. That's why we believe what we believe. It's because we have a worldview. So we started talking about the problem of the Christian worldview. Last year, we, this, is the, this is a cathedral in the town where I was born, a city I was born in, in Christchurch, New Zealand. I was born in this place. So as a boy, I used to look at that cathedral. I used to stand outside that cathedral and look at it. And uh, that was, then we had the earthquakes in Christchurch just this year, was it? Or last year? Last year, we had the earthquakes. And, and that cathedral fell down. It just fell apart. It just it's built on stone, and when the earthquake shook, all the stones fell out, and they fell over. And so now the cathedral is, 
is wrecked, it's ruined. And it is a symbol of what's happened to the church. The church has lost its beginning in terms of its ability to, to get the message out there about what the way things really are in life. What's it really all about? The church has lost it. But the church is so busy trying to make everybody happy. The church is so busy trying to, to fulfill all your needs. It's, it's lost the point that it should be telling you what God's view is on life as we live. How God sees things. And so what we're doing this year is we've, we've tried to, to lay again a foundation for our lives so that we can see things from God's perspective. I mean, in the end of it, Everything that we want is to be normal. We want things to be normal according to God's perspective. Not normal according to what I say normal is. I mean, how many different cultures have we got here? We've got an African culture. We've got Filipino culture. We've got uh, um, Barbados or something or whatever it is. Or, uh, what, what's, your, what's your heritage, mum? Barbados are West Indians, isn't it? West Indian culture. We have African again. We have South African. We have Indian. We have some English. We have some Scottish. We have uh, people from all kinds of walk here in this place. We have um, uh, some uh, Colombian no, drug logs. And, Peruvian, Peruvian. So we've got... And, and I could say to all of you, all of you different people, I could say... Now, what's normal? And Joan would say to me, well, normal for me is, this is what normal is. And for normal for Jerome, you know, it's wrong for his children to call me Pastor Mark because you don't use the word Mark. You don't call me by my name because that's disrespectful. It's normal for them. But it's normal for me because I'm different. I'm a different nationality for my son to call me dad and... um, and he even calls me my name and I don't get upset about it. But, you know, that it's not normal for... And it's different again. It's different for French, uh, Dutch uh, Indonesians. It's different again. It's a different... So what's normal? What's normal? Normal is whatever you say it's normal. It comes from your culture. It's normal for us in our culture. But, you know, we want to get to get what's normal for God. I mean, the only thing that's going to keep us all together is that we have one normality. One thing that is normal. So what is it normal for God? And it's normal for God that we should love one another. We should care for one another. We should work and follow the scripture and do what the scripture tells us. That's what normal is. And I, my desire this whole year is to be God normal so that we can become normal like God wants us to be normal. We want to be what Jesus wants us to be. Amen? And so we rebuild the ruins. You know, we look at the Bible and say, what should the Christian worldview be? So we've looked at all of these different sermons. You'll find them on the webpage. You see those little pictures. Whether we like it or not, you know, the world is not passive. People think that the world is sitting there and it's not doing anything. The world is active. The world is aggressively active. It, it's aggressively telling people what to think. The minute you turn the TV on, it tells you what to buy and it tells you what to believe about what you're buying. It tells you what's right and what's wrong. It tells you and defines for you all the kind of things that you don't haven't 
given a thought about, it tells you what they are. It says, this is what everybody else is saying about homosexuality. You should, you should have that view. And people who don't have this view, and this is the view of the people who are presenting this idea, he says, well, that's just not right. And they're defining for you morality. They're defining for you what's right and wrong. They're telling you what's normal. And you don't get a say in that. You, could, you just listen to it. They're just pumping it out. You might get to some new, nice uh, music that's coming on the, on, the, on the radio and you listen to it. It's got a nice little tune to it. And then you listen to the words and the words might be telling you to take drugs. They may be telling you to have immoral sex. They may be telling you to, to rebel against your parents. They may be telling you to pursue all kinds of wrong things. But, you know, because the, 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 the singer is kind of trendy and she's got lots of money and she's lots of wealth, we just agree with it. We just listen to it and we just go along with it, you know. So the world is not passive. It's not sitting there quietly saying, oh, well, it, we won't talk to them. The world is actually saying, screaming in your face, this is what you should believe. This is what it's all about. And no one's saying anything against it. We've got to recognize that God's made a very clear statement about what the world is all about, how it is. You know, we, we look at, uh, say, for instance, take one of these um, ideas, uh, for instance, uh, biology, God's biology. We go to the world, the world says, you know what? There is no God. So we start off from the argument that there is no God. They, they refuse the idea of God, so there is no God. That means we must all be material people. As in, you know, we are just tangible. There is no spirit I don't know what's looking out of my eyes when I look into the mirror. I don't know what that life force inside of me is if it's not a spirit. I am a spirit. On the inside, I'm spirit. And, and, but, but there is no spirit. The world says there's no spirit. We're all material. It's just a fluke. We just happen to evolve. And that's what the world tells us, and we just go along with that, or some people just go along with it. So you stand and talk to some people and say, I'm an atheist. There is no God. I'm an atheist. There is no God. Everything is just material. I can do whatever I want. If, you know, it's a convenient truth having no God, because if you can take God away, you can take morals away, because God is morally good. He's absolutely right, and he knows what's right or wrong. And if you can remove God, you can remove morality. And if you can move, remove morality, you can do whatever you like. You know, they say, God says in his word, the sixth commandment is that you should not kill. The seventh commandment says you should not commit adultery. Well, if you can remove God, you can remove the sixth commandment and you can remove the seventh commandment. That means you can sleep with whoever you want and if you want to, you can kill people if you want to. It doesn't really matter. Because you remove God, you remove morality. So it's a convenient truth, isn't it? It's a convenient truth to remove God because it means that we can do whatever we want. We become the center of the whole universe. So we went through last year and we looked at all of these, or this year, we looked at all of those sermons and, and how God tells us how things are. I'm not going to go through it. One of the reasons we went there, and I want you to turn into your Bibles. If anybody not got a Bible here who'd like to own a Bible that doesn't have an English Bible? Who doesn't have an English Bible would like to own a Bible? Have you got a Bible? There's a free Bible here. It's going, going. Have you got a Bible, John? You got a Bible? There you go. If you want, there's another three there. You need to have a Bible. You need to read the Bible. And listen, if you come from a different culture and you can't read English, it's a good place to start. 
Because, hey, listen, I know when you've come from a different land and you come to Australia, one of the reasons why you're here is because God has given you the opportunity to start a new life somewhere new. And one of the greatest challenges that you have when you come to this place is to integrate into Australia. Not, not to be a culture outside of this culture, but to become part of this culture. It doesn't mean that you stop being the culture that you came from, but you have to learn to speak English. You have to learn to understand us. As we have to understand you, you have to understand us. And take a Bible in English and practice your English at home. Amen? All right. that was a, I got that. That was an amen from Jerome. Yes. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> so take some time. When we do, on Tuesday night, we're trying to make Tuesday night an English night, aren't we, Jerome? We try and pray in English and <laughs> read in English and understand English. It's a challenge. We're getting there. So what we've done to help you out, uh, notice that there's a... This is not Greek here. The, after Isaiah, you've got this Isaiah. That's not Greek. That's Swahili. And the reason we put that up there is because there's people here who, when you look at the, the names of the Bibles, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, and this, it has no resemblance to, to the Swahili Bible. So there's no, it's not, you know, you can look at that reference up there and they can't get the reference because they don't, it doesn't look like it. Well, that looks like it, but it, but a lot of them don't like like Genesis starts with the letter M, and M yeah, and Corinthians start with the letter W. So you know that, that you're just not going to get it, are you? So we put that in there so you can have a clue, because we want to reach you with the word. Amen. It's important. So that's what that is. We 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 go to your Bibles to to Isaiah sixty one. I want to just read, read the first part of this chapter to you, Isaiah 61. So about a year ago, we, we looked at Isaiah 61. We looked at the work that Jesus was doing. And he actually, in the beginning of his ministry, he, he, he picked up the scroll and he read Isaiah 61. And he said, today, this is fulfilled in your ears. He says, and he read this passage about himself. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to the opening of uh, the prisons to the, those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, and to comfort those, all those who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, and to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of lawless, uh, heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness to the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. That's the verses just preceding that. So Jesus came and said, you know, everybody lost sight of what God is on about and their lives are broken. Well, one of the things is nothing's changed much since Jesus came here to where we are now. Most of our lives are broken. Sin has broken our lives and we are in a situation where we're busted. So the spirit of the Lord is upon each one of us to do the same things. In verse 4, he says this, they will, and he's talking about the people that Jesus has set free. So those who have set, been set free from Jesus, how many people have been set free from Jesus? Put your hand up here. You know that when you die, if you were to die right now, you'd go to be with Jesus. You'd go to be, you'd put your hand up there if you've got that confidence. Jesus saved you. You might not be very old in the Lord, but listen, you know you've been set free from sin, and you know you've been set free from the punishment that's coming. 
There's no, there's no gates of hell with their mouth open wide, ready to swallow you up. If you love Jesus, Jesus loves you. And if you're following Jesus and obedient to Jesus, you'll walk with Jesus from the time you walk here and you'll walk into eternity with Jesus. That's just, you've been set free. And he says, those people, that's the ones he's talking about, they will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the, the ruined cities and, that have been devastated for generations. Now, one of the things that Jesus is actually saying is that we are going to build a city. Now, who wants to build a city in Brisbane? Well, I don't want to build a city. I'm a builder, but I don't want to build a city. He's not talking about that, though. He's talking about a community of people, a community of people that has been devastated. You know, that community is called the kingdom of God. And those people that live in the kingdom of God, they're citizens. So we are all citizens of that kingdom. You know, I have part of that kingdom and you're part of that kingdom. We're part of a community. Now, that community is going to be rebuilt. What does that look like? You know, when everything outside is busted and broken and everybody's like dog eat dog and, and, and they're killing each other and they're, they're fighting and screaming. We, we saw some girls, some girls crossing. You would have seen that. You were there crossing the street today, last night, when we were out street preaching. And did you see what happened? Were you looking on the side? Oh, yeah. Oh, they were just about killing each other, weren't they? I thought you would stop to watch. Oh, I thought, I can't move. I'm watching too. They were like your age, um, Olga. And they were going to kill each other. They were screaming and shouting. And I thought, somebody's going to hit something. Did they hit each other? I'm not sure. They pushed, I think. They pushed, but then not got quiet. But that's it. That's what the world's like. It's that it's, it's doggy dog. It's broken. It's fractured. It's, it's, it's being pulled apart. You probably know those people. Was it you? No, it wasn't you, was it? No. I, can, I mean, you all look the same to me. <laughs> We all look the same, don't we? They do look different. After you get there, they, they do look different. And so he says that we're going to rebuild those things. God wants us to rebuild a community, a community of those who are saved by his grace. And that's what he's told us to do. And we've heard that today. He says, for we are God's fellow work, workers. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder. This is Paul speaking. And someone else is uh, building on it, but each one should be careful how he, bi- how he builds, for no one can lay any other foundation than that which is laid, that is Christ Jesus. So he's saying, look, we're building a foundation of a city. It's a church. It's a, it's a people of God. That church is being built here. God is building his people. He's adding to his people. So Lashir and uh, Tanil, Lashay. Lashay. Did I say Lashay? Lachey, it's French, isn't it? Lachey and Jackie, they're all the newest newcomers to this, to this kingdom. This week they gave their hearts to Jesus, so they're newcomers to this kingdom. You know, you came to the Lord Jesus Christ not too long ago, or you've given your heart to Jesus years ago. You're part of that kingdom, and that kingdom's continuing to be built here now. It's continuing to grow. And we want to keep it growing. We want it to grow for Jesus because when Jesus comes back, we want him to come back for a lot more people who have come to know Jesus. But we've got to be careful that we lay only his foundations, that we build upon Jesus. You know, some churches build upon the fact that you can come and have rock music. Some churches build upon the fact that they can dance around and have lots of fun. Some people build upon the fact that, you know, they... some. Some churches build upon the fact that, you know, you're going to have crazy times with the, at the youth thing, you know? And it's like, what's the foundation here? 
Well, the foundation is Jesus. He has to be the foundation. And the Bible says, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain that built it. It says, unless the Lord guards the city, the watchmen stay awake in vain. See, God is involved in this whole exercise. Jesus is the one who works with us. No one's here doing anything apart from following Jesus. And then Jesus is working with us. And unless he is working with us, it's useless. It's futile. But how does Jesus work with us? How does Jesus work with us? Well, Peter tells us that, that as we come to him, the living stone, and I want you to, to just pause there and just think about the words, as you come to him. Jesus is the one that you come to. The reason you come to Jesus is because Jesus is the one that can free you. You know, our lives are all bound up with sin. We've done some things that we're not happy about. And inside of each one of us, there's a sense of, if you think about the things that you did, a sense of guilt about the things that you did. And the guilt is there because you broke a rule. You broke one of God's rules. Everybody can say, well, there is no God and it doesn't matter what you do. But inside of you, there's the sense that there's a rule. And when you break the rule, when you tell a lie, when you do something that is against God's law, it registers on the inside and you know on the inside there's a broken rule. Guilt is there on the inside. You're broken now. Do you know that? Jesus is the only one who can take the guilt away. He's the only one who can lift the guilt off your life and give you freedom. He's the only one. You can work all you'd like in a church. You can do volunteer work. You can give all your money to the poor. You can do whatever you want. That's not going to lift the weight of guilt. There's only one who can lift the weight of guilt in your life, and that is Jesus. And the reason he can lift it is because he took the punishment of your sin upon himself. So when Jesus came from God to earth, was born of a virgin, then lived a perfect life, did nothing wrong. He was the only man who never had to, had to die. He never sinned. He never had to die. But then he stood before God and he said to God, God, punish me for the sins that John has committed. Punish me for the sins that Jerome has committed. Punish me for the sins that Lachey has committed. Punish me. Hit me, kill me for their sin. And because he was innocent, he had the ability to take the price or the penalty of sin for you. So he died in your stead. When they lined him up to kill him, he was being lined up and killed for Rachel's sins, for for Martin's sins. He took them upon himself and he was punished in their place. He was killed and destroyed because of what we did. And he's the only one, because he's alive and rose from the dead, he's the only one who can forgive us. You can't forgive yourself. He's the only one who can forgive you because he's the one who paid the price for you. So we have to come to Jesus. That's how he works with us. Hey, there's a way out of here. Which is the way? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
No man comes to the Father but by me. If this place was burning and we were all sitting here and the flames were leaping out, you'd say, which is the way out? And you'd say, there's the door. That's the exit way. And Jesus says, I am the door. How does Jesus work for us? He is the way. He is the way out. He is the way out of brokenness. He is the way out of pain. He is the way out of guilt. He is the way out of sin. He is the way out of fractured relationships. He's the way out of broken humanity. He's the way out of health problems. He's the way out. Jesus is the way. Come to him. Come to Jesus. He's the only way out. And he says, as you come to him as a living stone, people say, well, Jesus is dead. No, he's not a tombstone. The Bible says he's a living stone. So the thing about Jesus is he's solid. He's so solid. Everybody else says, you know, put your trust in that person and they they criticize you. They say all nasty things about you. I don't know how many times I put my feet on people and I say, I'm going to trust in this person. And then that person turns around and stabs me in the back. I I shouldn't trust in man, should I? Jesus is solid. You can put your trust that he's a rock. He never moves. He's immovable. He never lets you down. You put your trust in Jesus. He's a solid rock. He will never move. And he's a living rock. He's alive and he's solidly with you all the time. He's a living stone. We come to Jesus because he's the way out. And we can step on him because he's solid as a rock and he's alive. Jesus is not dead. I think I heard a story about you, Tennille, about how God spoke to you, you know, after, you know, you were going to do something wrong, I think, you know, and God spoke to you. Inside you, you had, don't do this. Inside you, you, that happened a week after you got saved, didn't it? And you, and you stopped doing what you're doing. I'm not going to say what you're going to do. You stopped doing what you were doing and didn't do it. Don't tell me that Jesus is dead. Jesus lives with Tennille. She was going to do something wrong, but God cleansed her conscience from dead works to serve a living God. And when she went to do it, God said to her, don't do it. And she listened to him and she stopped. That's not coming to a tombstone. That's coming to a living rock who's solid. He's going to protect you when you're going to be in trouble. You listen to him and you obey him. And he, look, if you're going this way and there's trouble coming this way, and he says, stop, turn around, you listen and stop and turn around. That's called repentance. That's solid. I mean, I want to go through life knowing Jesus who can keep me out of trouble because it's broken out there. It's a desperate state out there and the devil's got plenty of traps for a man to fall into. I want to be safe. I want to be secure. I want to be in a place where I'm not going to fall over. And the Bible says, put your trust in Jesus. Keep believing in Jesus. Keep your eye on Jesus and obey Jesus and you will never fall. He's a living rock. And then we become like him. It says there, we become, he's rejected by men, but he's chosen by God and present. You also like living stones. We become like him. We are alive and we become solid as well. People can put their trust in us because we're solid. Why are we, why can they put their trust in us? Because we've got Jesus inside us and we're going to be faithful like Jesus is faithful. So I could get married to a wife and I can, I can be li- living with my wife for 30 years and I can put my confidence in Jesus and I put my f- confidence in my wife. I know she's not going to play up on me. I know she's not going to have an affair with somebody else. Why? Because I trust Jesus in her. She's got the rock of God inside of her. Her faith in Jesus is the thing that keeps her strong. I can put my confidence in her because Jesus is in her. We're like living rocks built up in him. Amen? Amen. Amen.
And we're built up and being built into, it says, a spiritual house. This is called a spiritual house. Yeah, I know, it's kind of weird, isn't it? But somehow we're all related. We're all blood-related, folks. We're all blood-related. You know who's our common blood? Jesus is our common blood. I was born again by the blood of Jesus. He died for me. His blood cleansed my life. You were not born into life, into this spiritual house by anybody else's blood, but the blood of Jesus. We're all blood-related. And this is a spiritual house. We're family here. We're family here. We're brothers and sisters, one another. I don't care the color of your skin, folks. You have the color of Jesus all over you. It's the blood of Jesus. We're all red. Well, no, we're all white. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus, for what he's done. He cleansed us from our sins. You know, it says that we're a spiritual house and we house ought to be a holy priesthood. Now, I want to talk to you a little bit about this idea of being a holy priesthood. What does a priest do? A priest stands between man and God. Okay? So if I was going to be a priest and I wanted to be a priest between Matin and Olga, you know, I have to make intercession between the two. You know, I have to say, Olga, let me make intercession and let me plead your case. So I take Olga by the hand. That's it. Show a little bit. Yeah, that's it. And I take Martin by the hand. And I bring Olga and Martin together because I'm a priest. I bring them together so that they can have a relationship with each other. Kiss and make up. Seriously. Now listen to me. We're all priests here. So... You're a priest, Olga. Martin, you're a priest. I'm a priest. Priestess, priestess, priest, priest. We're all priests. Everybody here is a priest or a priestess before God. Because the Bible says we're all priests. So who do we stand between? Well, God is one person. I'm the priest in the middle. Who are the people I'm reaching out to? The world, the lost ones. The lost ones. Who do you know that doesn't know Jesus? Who do you know that, that, that is going to go to hell if they don't find the way out of this burning building? Who do you know? You are a priest. You take the hand of God and you reach out to the hand of the other person and say, come to find Jesus. You need to find Jesus and you bring Jesus and that person together. And God then makes them a priest. So you're a priest. You're a priest in God. You have a a job to do. There's people you know that don't know Jesus. And you're the only person. You are the only person that can reach them. I can't go there. I don't know them. You are the only one who knows them. Listen to me. That's the most powerful thing you can do. We are a spiritual priesthood. We are the only ones who can reach those people. No one else knows them like you do. You stand between God and them. And you bring them together. You lose that. You forget that. You lost the whole point of living. It's what it's all about. So I want you to just think about that. It says in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 18, it says, For though for through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit, consequently, and this is what I was saying before, 
We are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens of God's people and members of God's household, built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. He says, In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord, and in him we too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. What he's saying in that sort of sense, we all together, as we join hands together, come to a place where God lives with us by his Spirit. So as we come together, as we sit here, God comes and sits here with us and he is here by his spirit with us. And so when we're praying for one another at the front, God is walking in amongst us and he's praying and ministering and healing those around us. As you're sitting here now, God sits with you, beside you, he sits in you and he speaks to you. He speaks to you where I can't speak. He speaks to your conscience. He speaks to your heart. He lets you know what he's saying to you. So that as I speak, inside of you, there begins to burn a conviction. Now, the conviction is something like this. You know, I want you to work for me. You know, you've got to be doing something about this. You know, you have to go to a place that's not comfortable. You know, if you don't do it, those people will never find me. He speaks to you. He lays that in your heart. He talks to you through his word, through his Holy Spirit, so that he can build you up, so that you become part of that growing body that he's wanting for this world. You know, you can feel God speaking to you already. God's been talking to you. It says, in Galatians, Paul says, there is neither Jew nor Greek. So look, forget about the racial differences that we have here. Forget about the color of the person's skin beside you. He said to the Jews, it's no longer Jew or Greek. So it's not African or Australian. Just forget about that whole idea. He says, you are one people here. It's not slave nor free. So there's no status here. It's not the person who's employed and the employer, like there's a distinguishing factor. You know, one's an employee and the other's an employer, you know. Well, I'm not like this man because he's an employer. I'm just an employee, you know. If I was smart enough, I could be an employer. All the employers get lots of money. The employees work for the boss, you know. Now, look, in the kingdom of God, we are all employed by God. There's no employer or employee, there's no male or female. If I was only a male, then I could do things for God. You know, that's not true. There is in Christ no male nor female. So he doesn't look at Ruby and say, well, you're a female. You, you can't do anything. And, and, and then he says to Ray, but you're a male. You can do something. That's not what the word says. He says, there's no male nor female in Christ. He looks at you and he says, you're people, his people. There's no distinguishing factor in gender here. And he says, you're all one in Christ Jesus. That's who we are. We are one together. Now, we have an opportunity today to just celebrate that unity. Today is our love feast. It's a feast for the body of Christ, where the body of Christ comes together, where the body of Christ celebrates their common unity, and their common unity is Jesus, what Jesus did. 